Hello again, everyone. Keep that uh, passage open. That's the one we're looking at, the 1 Thessalonians passage. Uh, and I'll pray for us as we begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that we've just heard your word read. Uh, so we pray that we will treat it as it deserves to be treated, as the very words of God. And Father, help us now to set aside all the distractions, all the things that might make us not understand and focus on your word. And instead, give us clear minds and soft hearts so that we'll listen to your word and then live by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, don't think, I don't know if you noticed, but our, uh, and Evan didn't warn us, but our, our first song tonight was a Christmas carol, which means it's officially Christmas time. Uh, and I, uh, I sort of think once you get a 12 in the month, once you get to December, you can't hide from it anymore. Uh, and uh, that was sort of, I had to accept that this year because uh, last night all Victoria's family are going away over Christmas. So we actually had Christmas yesterday on the 1st of December. So Christmas has begun in the Colgan household, but there you go. But I actually, for me, I love Christ- Christmas. Uh, I've never lost that sort of kid on Christmas Eve, sleepless nights sort of thing. Uh, though for me now, it's more I'm excited about preaching a sermon the next morning because uh, I can tell you for years, what I get for Christmas has not changed. It's either clothes or books. And every year I look at the present and I think that rectangular thing that bends a little, it might not be a book. No, it is a book. It's a book. Uh, but that that anticipation, that, that sense of waiting for Christmas, I think that is the closest thing we get to, to understanding how Jesus wants us to feel about his return. Uh, I think it's the, the idea of a kid sleeplessly waiting for Christmas Day to tick around, that sort of idea. That is the closest thing we get to really understanding how Jesus wants us to feel about his return. He wants us to be eager and ready and waiting for what the Bible calls the Day of the Lord the second coming of Jesus. To understand our world correctly and to understand the times we live in, you need to understand that all of history is shaped by the two comings of Jesus. So so there are no more, the the two most important days in all history are the first coming of Jesus, and in particular his death and resurrection, and then the second coming of Jesus, his return. So the first time, as you know, Jesus came in humility. It's what we sing all the, the, the Christmas carols about. You know, he was born into poverty, the son of a carpenter from an obscure town in an obscure region of an obscure country. The first time Jesus came to save. So John 12, 47, I've printed it on your outline, have a look with me. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, people misquote that verse as saying that's Jesus speaking about what he's going to do for all time. No, he's saying, this first time I have come, that was the purpose. I could have come to just judge and that would have been right and that would have been fair, but I didn't. I came to save the world and in particular, Jesus came to do that by dying on a cross, to pay the price for our sins. He came to open up the way to God so that anyone who believes in him might find forgiveness and might have hope beyond death. And so now, as a Christian, we live looking backwards. That's what it means to have faith. We, we live looking back to what Christ did for us the first time He came. We look back to the fact that He came to serve us, not to be served. That he came to give His life a ransom for many. That is what defines us. That's what gives us our meaning uh, and, and our very reason for living, really. But the other great event of history is yet to come. It's in the future. 
the day when Jesus will return, which we looked at, or at least started to look at, last week in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. And Jesus' second coming will be very different to His first coming. He came in humility the first time, He'll still be humble, but He will come in glory the second time. You will not miss it. We heard last week, with the trumpet call of God, Jesus will descend from the heavens and no one will miss it. The dead will be raised and for those who trust in Jesus, that day will be wonderful. He will establish His kingdom once and for all. But for those who have not put their trust in Jesus, the second coming will be awful. Because this time, the Bible says, Jesus will come to judge. And those who trust in Him will be saved, but those who don't trust in Him, He will hold to account for their sin and for their rejection of God. But the point is, those two events in history should shape everything for us now. Every decision you make about your life now should be made on the basis that Jesus has come already to save you and he will come in the future. That is the basis on which you do everything. You see, I think though, the reality is that all Christians struggle to live for that future day. We get the trusting in what Jesus has done bit. I think we do every, every hymn we sing, you know, every song we sing is about Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. We get the looking back to what Jesus done. We even get the Jesus is in control of everything now bit, the present bit, if you like. But we often put his return out of our mind. So just be honest, before the Bible reading tonight, from whatever time you woke up this morning until, you know, 6.45, whatever it was when the Bible was read, did you think at all about Jesus coming back today? Did it, did it occur to you at all? Is there anyone who thought, actually, I'm the exception, I've preached on it three times today. So, you see, the thing is, it's been 2,000 years, hasn't it? And every morning the sun comes up and every morning, the, every evening the sun goes down. And every day you get out of bed and you go to work or you go to school, you go to you, whatever you do, and then you come home and you eat your dinner and you do whatever you do and then you go to bed and it all goes round and round and round and it has for 2,000 years. So I think most Christians put it out of their mind. And we tend to think, I'll live until I die. Rather than, today could be my last because Jesus might return before church finishes tonight. See, we even do it, I do it anyway, when I'm sharing the gospel with people, I'll often say to them, what would you do if you died tonight and stood before our Lord? What would you say to Him? Why should you let me into heaven? But really, I should say, what would you do if Jesus returned tonight and you were standing in front of Him? And it's because we don't think about the return of Jesus that's why we get caught up in the things of this world. It's why we start caring far too much about treasures on earth rather than treasures in heaven. To use Jesus' parable, we just focus on building bigger barns to store all our, our things we think we need here on earth rather than realising it's all going to get burned away anyway. And none of it's going to count for eternity. And instead, we should be looking forward to things that will count beyond this life. You see, Jesus wants us to live expecting that he might return at any moment. And that's what this passage is all about. It's about the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return and what it means to be ready for it. 
And the first point he makes is, come with me to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, the first point he makes is, you cannot work out when Jesus will return. That's the first point. But when he does return, it will be without warning. So look from verse 1. It says, about the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. I've never been robbed, praise God. I've never been broken into, probably happened tonight when I go home, but anyway. No. But no one expects to be robbed, do they? Otherwise, you would get a bigger dog. Otherwise, you wouldn't go out. Otherwise, you would get better locks and alarms. On your... No one expects to be robbed. By definition, when a thief comes, it's a surprise. Because if it wasn't a surprise, they're not actually a thief. You've given them the things. You see, when a thief comes, it is a surprise, and that's his point here. Sadly, different Christian groups over the years uh, have sort of tried to say, ah, we know when Jesus is returning, it will be on the the, the 12th of December in this year or whatever. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses, not a Christian group, a cult, but uh, they said Jesus is coming back in 1914 and they publicised it all over the world. When he didn't come back, they said, you missed it. He came in secret. When people do that, you are right to laugh at them. And in fact, if a preacher gets up here and tells you, Jesus is coming back and I know when, it's time to find a new church or it's time to find a new preacher at least. You see, they show themselves to be fools when they do that because even Jesus said, I do not know the day. That is in the mind of the Father only. Just look at Mark 13, 32 on your outline. Jesus said, now concerning that day or hour, he's talking about the day or hour of his return, no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Now, this is so important. You see, waiting for the return of Jesus doesn't mean wasting our time trying to work out when he's coming back. Too many Christians over the years have done that. They, they go all through the Scriptures and they go, I'm trying to work out it'll be after this and before that and, and on this date. That is not what it means to wait for Jesus' return. Waiting means get ready for him to come back. Be ready now if he comes back today. Jesus wants us to be permanently alert for his return. And that brings me to my second point, you'll see it there on the outline, that is, it will be awful to be caught unawares. Look at verse 3, it says, when they say, the they there is of course people who don't know Jesus, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them, like labour pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You see, our world deludes itself into thinking this world is all there is. Our world deludes itself into thinking with my house and with my steady job and with my bank account and with my education and with my insurance policy, that will give me peace and security. Sadly, that is a delusion even apart from the day of the Lord, isn't it? Because wars come and tsunamis come and earthquakes come and all these other awful things come and you read the fine print of your insurance policy and it's never covered. You see, the sort of person who thinks peace and security, nothing bad's going to happen to me is a fool. But even more, the day of the Lord makes those sort of things look like minor inconveniences. Because when God's destruction burns away this creation... The person who said, I've got peace and security will say, where is it now? And when God's judgment comes on this world for the sin of humanity, 
And just like a pregnant woman must go into labour, it's inevitable, that's the point Jesus makes there. In the same way, even as people go on living their lives, ignoring God, without thinking about it, the return of Jesus is actually inevitable. We don't know when He is going to return, but we do know that His return is one day closer today than it was yesterday. You don't know the date or hour, but you know it is coming and nothing can stop it. And it might be in a week or it might be in another thousand years because for the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. But on that day, people who have ignored God all their lives will suddenly realise their awful mistake. Before we come to us being ready, which is what this passage is about, isn't this why we must share Jesus with people? Doesn't this demand... Sometimes people say to me, oh, I can't find the Bible where I've got to share the gospel with other people. And I say to them, what's wrong with you? If Jesus is returning and it is the day of judgment, doesn't that mean we must plead with people to put their trust in Jesus? There are all sorts of motivations for telling people about Jesus in the Bible, they're positive and negative ones, but surely the reality of Jesus' imminent return demands that we warn people and that we tell people how to find salvation. When I was about 17, I was on North Stradbroke Island off Brisbane. Anyone been to North Stradbroke Island? Lovely place to go on a holiday. Uh, I was there with about five mates. We were probably getting up to no good. That's sort of what we did at that age. Uh, But we went down the beach. And they're some of the nicest beaches in the world. And the water is crystal clear. But on that day, the water was dark. And when you look closer at it, it was because there were just thousands, millions of little fish sort of pilchards or sardines, sort of in the waves. And as you looked, it was quite incredible. But then as we looked closer, you could actually see the tiger sharks just going through the schools of fish with their mouth open. It's one of the most incredible sights you'll ever see. Anyway, we thought this is incredible. We watched it for hours and then we walked around to the next beach and there in the water was a lady with her small child. There were no fish or sharks, it seemed, on that beach. And so the five, five 17-year-olds standing on the beach, yelling at her, you've got to get out of the water, get out, get out, don't be stupid. And, and she was just scared out of her brain, not by the sharks, but by us. She thought, are these people going to, what are they doing? You know, and, and she wouldn't listen to us and we were getting more and more agitated. And we went into the water and we said, you've got to get out of the water. And she didn't believe us, but eventually 17, five, five 17-year-old boys sort of convinced her, I'm just getting out to get away from these loonies. And she walked around to the next beach and 20 minutes later, she ran back again. And she said, thank you so much, I've seen the sharks. You see, there are all sorts of lessons there that do not translate to how you should share the gospel with people. (laughs) We were not very gentle, we were not very respectful. But in the end, if you know a shark is in the water and the people there are oblivious, how can you not warn them? It's inconceivable, isn't it? And if you know a tsunami is coming and there are people on the beach, how can you not warn them? It's illogical, it's unloving to not do it. And surely you do not care that they think you're a bit crazy. The imminent return of Christ demands that we tell people the gospel. But the major focus of this passage is not on other people out there, it's on us, here. Because we do know Jesus. And we know that Jesus is coming back. And so what does that mean for us now? Well, my third point, look on your outline. We must live as people who are waiting for Jesus to return. Look at verse 4. It says, But you, brothers, are not in the dark for this day to overtake you like a thief. 
For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. See, I think having talked about the thief in the night, the Apostle Paul sort of runs with the metaphor a bit. He said, before you knew Jesus, you were in darkness. You didn't know God and you didn't live for Him. But now you're in the light. Now you know Jesus. Now you seek to live for Him. And that means even if you don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back, it shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't catch you unawares. You shouldn't be caught in the dark when Jesus returns. You should live every day hoping for it. You should live every day waiting for it. And more than that, that day will not be awful for you. It will be wonderful. Jump down to verse 9. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. You see, that day will be a day of awful judgment for those who have not trusted in Jesus. But for those who have trusted in Christ, our salvation is certain because Jesus has already taken the judgment for our sin. Our salvation on that day is certain because of what Jesus did the first time He came. So what does it look like to live as people waiting for Jesus to return? Let's look from verse 6. He says, So then, we must not sleep like the rest but we must stay awake and be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. Most of you won't remember this, but uh, after September 11 happened, they had these ads on TV and they gave you fridge magnets that had this little catchphrase on it. Does anyone remember the catchphrase? Be alert, but not alarmed. Be alert, but not alarmed. And there are all these things, if you see a package somewhere, ring this number and, and so forth. And the idea was, don't be alarmed, don't live your life all frightened, but be alert, and be watching for it. Well, that is how we should be as Christians. The stay awake there has the sense of being alert and being watchful. It's the word for, for what a watchman standing on the walls of an ancient city would be. To fall asleep when you're meant to be watching is criminal. You see, and he's saying, you don't want your Lord to find you asleep when he returns, do you? He doesn't mean drink lots of coffee and get all manic. He's contrasting being asleep with watchfulness. He's saying, be ready, be alert. That's why he also contrasts drunkenness with seriousness. He doesn't mean serious in the sense of without joy, never cracking a joke, that sort of idea. Joy is the mark of the Christian. The word more has the sense of soberness or self-control. So rather than be drunk and out of control, be sober and be self-controlled because you are waiting for the return of your Lord. His point is, if Jesus is your Lord, if you're no longer in darkness but now you're in the light, and if Jesus could come back at any moment, you want Him to find you living for Him when He comes back. You do not want your Lord to find you drunk, do you? When Jesus returns, you do not want your Lord to find you watching pornography. You do not want your Lord to find you swearing at people in your car at the moment He returns. You don't want your Lord to find you greedily counting your money and building your bigger barns, to use Jesus' words. You don't want your Lord to find you wasting your life. It's a good diagnostic question to ask. Would I want my Lord to find me doing this? And if the answer is no, then it might just be a hint that it's something He doesn't want you to do. Surely you want your Lord to find you living to please Him. Surely you want your Lord to find you encouraging 
your brothers and sisters in Christ. Surely you want your Lord to find you enjoying His creation, yes, but with thankfulness, giving Him the glory. See, you want your Lord to find you ready, ready to welcome Him. Isn't that right? And so how do we make sure that we remain ready? Well, it's like all this talk about being alert and being ready has made uh, Paul remember one of his favourite themes, which is the idea that as Christians, we are spiritual soldiers and God has given us armour and we should put it on. So look at verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put the armour of faith and love on our chests and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. I don't think there's much significance to which piece of armour is which. His point is to live for Jesus, to be ready for Jesus' return, then cultivate your faith. That's what you need to do to be ready for Jesus' return. Cultivate your faith. Keep trusting in Jesus, the one who died for your sins. Keep getting to know Him more and more by studying His Word, the Scriptures. Put on the armour of faith and cultivate your love, your love for Jesus, your love for the Father, your love for one another. Put on the armour of love and then finally keep a hold of your hope, that certainty of salvation that you have because you know Jesus. Just look one last time at verses 9 and 10. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. The awake or asleep there is going back to chapter 4 last week, do you remember? Whether you sleep are people who've died before Jesus has returned. His point is, whether you die before Jesus returns or whether He returns while you're still alive, that is your hope, that you'll be raised to live forever with Him as your Lord. That is your hope. Don't ever forget it. And can I speak to you now if that is not yet your hope? If you're here tonight, whether for the first time or the hundredth time, and you are someone who has not yet put your trust in Jesus... Can I beg you to do it today? The decision to trust in Jesus is not a minor matter. It's not like what football team you follow. And it's not a decision you can put off because Jesus could return tonight. And you need to decide, is He the Son of God? Did He die for my sins? And has He risen again? Is that the hope I want? Can I implore you, trust in Jesus. Do not be found asleep if he returns. And if you have never taken that step, please come and talk to me tonight after church and I will pray with you and we will together see you move from darkness to light. It is the most important decision you need to make. But for us all, faith, love, hope, that is the armour we need to stand firm for Jesus. That's what we need to live lives ready for his return. But now there's one last point to make from this passage and it's this, We need each other if we're going to be ready for Jesus. So you see, after all of this, what's the last thing Paul tells us as he finishes this section? Look at verse 11. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. See, the idea that a Christian can live to serve Jesus and persevere in their faith without the encouragement of their brothers and sisters in Christ is just totally foreign to the New Testament. The idea that someone could stand firm for Jesus without being a part of a church, without being part of a body of brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them, 
is just foreign to the New Testament. We are not called individually to wait for Jesus' return. We're called to do it together and we're called to help one another do it. And the way we do that is we encourage one another and we build one another up in faith and hope and love. Every time we meet, we remind each other, Jesus died for your sins. Every time we meet together, we remind one another, Jesus is risen. Every time we meet, we remind one another, Jesus is coming back. Live for him. And so when one of us is struggling, other people lift them up. And other people encourage them and help them carry their burdens. And then when we are struggling, other people do it for us. The idea of an individual Christian existing apart from the church is foreign to the New Testament. Just think of Hebrews 10. Look at it with me. It's a passage on the end of your outline there. Come and have a look. It says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see how it's just assumed? If you know Jesus is returning, you will meet with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you will encourage them. That is what you will do. It is the best thing you can do with your time. Or Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, again, it's on your outline, says, carry one another's burdens in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And I could go on and on and quote verse after verse, but the point is, you do not wait for Jesus on your own. We do it together. And we encourage each other when we need to be encouraged, and we challenge one another when we need to be challenged, and we even rebuke one another when we need to be rebuked. And we do it all because what do we want for one another more than anything else? That you would be where with us on that last day, trusting in Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know that Jesus has already done everything necessary for our salvation. We thank you that when he came the first time, he died for our sins and rose again so that we might have the hope of eternal life. But now, Father, we look forward to his return. Father, give us that sense of urgency to share the news of salvation with those who do not yet know Jesus. But for all of us, help us to live in readiness. Help us not to be found asleep, but instead help us to be found waiting for him and serving him when he returns. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.